Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns, and we're here to discuss a variety of topics. Bullying's the big one. But right now, many people are experiencing a host of other problems. Domestic violence, workplace bullying, cyberbullying, community and family bullying. And often when I speak with people... I discover that they seem to be having trouble with the people that are closest to them, like their parents or siblings. People become angry and bitter and just don't realize that there is a choice. And it can be just as easy to develop love, joy, peace, and patience as it is to be angry, bitter, and vengeful. This podcast is designed for anyone who wants to have a fuller, more vibrant life and to offer some ideas on how to balance the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual areas of their life. But we are Anti-Bullying 101, and it's truly my hope that we can help everyone live a life without the fear of harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Well, welcome back, folks, to Anti-Bullying 101. And, uh, you know, a few years back, I did a, um, an article. And the article was entitled, My Kid Will Make It. And it was really about the unrealistic expectations that were placed on kids who were basically mediocre baseball, football, or basketball players. But because of either the town that they lived in or who they played against, they became a big fish in a small pond, and everyone expected them to make the major leagues or professional football or basketball. And I'm going to touch on a few things in this article today. 
I don't question whether or not there are bigger fish to fry in this world right now. I don't even doubt it. I mean, we've had our share of violence. We've had our share of bullying. We've had our share of kids getting picked on. We've had our share of community issues all across the country. All across the country, kids, adults, families are experiencing harassment, intimidation, and at some times they experience shootings. But I wanted to touch on this article today because I, I really believe that we have to have a realistic expectation and we have to have a, a clear view of the abilities that our children have. And yes, they may be very good, you know, in certain areas. But the bottom line is, okay, they may be very good, but they may not be good enough. And we, when we start to hang tags on them, like awesome and unbelievable and nobody's better and things like that, what, what starts to happen is pressure starts to build inside of a youngster. And that pressure can lead to a lot of other things. There was a, uh, many times, many times, because of unrealistic expectations, and be, even though the person could be outstanding in terms of their abilities, they end up having a whole host of other problems. As an example, Dwight Gooden pitched for the Mets in the early to mid-80s. He was on the 86 championship team. And in 1985, I believe he was something like 25 and 4. Ridiculously low ERA. Struck out 276 batters. And Bob Gibson, who was an old sage and a great pitcher during my day when I was a kid, made the comment that the, the sad part is he'll never be that good again. And he never was. And the pressure from trying to be so good led to a lifetime of a lifetime battle with drugs and alcohol. Freddie Prince, many years ago, Great comedian, unbelievably funny, young man, was just terrific. Had his own television show, the whole bit. Couldn't take the pressure. Unfortunately, he committed suicide. And when we put unrealistic pressures on our kids and they can't live up to it, they begin to believe that they're disappointing us or they're disappointing others or they're dis even disappointing themselves. And, the, and that disappointment can grow in their head. And they can start to draw very untrue conclusions about who they really are as a person. So let me 
go over this article with you just a bit so you can see where I'm coming from. Now, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait for the baseball season. And for over 50 years, it's over 60 years now, um, that's what I lived for. The boys of summer. And baseball players played 162 games in 180 days. It was fun. And I'm not a participant any longer, just a spectator. But every summer, from the time I was 8 years old until I was about 35, that's what I did. I played baseball. And as a kid, the dream was to become a professional baseball player and do it for a living. And kids today, I'm sure, have the same dreams and can see themselves hitting the home run that wins the World Series or pitching a no-hitter. It was a fantasy fest, and we all did fantasize, but alas, none of us made it. We played in and out of uniform, organized and pick up, honed our skills, took batting practice. We all thought we were so darn good, but in reality, not good enough. And there were some guys in town that we thought were just shoe-ins, that we'd see them playing in the major leagues some, at some point, but that wasn't so, so either. These guys were absolutely great ballplayers, but they never made it. So I started doing the math many years ago. And there are about 3,000 professional baseball players in the United States, and that includes minor league teams. And I'm not including Japan or countries that play in the World Baseball Classic every four years. There's 8 billion people, maybe more now, maybe 10, on the planet. So the chances are greater that a kid's going to get hit by lightning than become a professional baseball player. Professional baseball players are the cream of the crop, and they have certain abilities that are innate to them and only them. And when scouts talk about a 5-2 player, they refer to a player's ability to run with speed, have a strong arm, can hit for average, hit with power, and can feel the position well. These are all God-given abilities that improve with practice, but really it's all about natural talent. And I'm not too concerned about teenagers understanding those numbers. I think they do, but I don't think that the parents have a clear understanding of those statistics and furthermore believe that their kid is going to be the next Mickey Mantle. It's not the belief that's troubling, it's what parents do with those beliefs that can make life miserable for a lot of people. So let's be clear. Coaches coach, parents parent, and players play. Anytime these three things get commingled, and they start stepping on each other's toes, it's a recipe for disaster with the player losing, and I don't mean the game. Let's take a look at what happens when each person in the group above doesn't know how to do their job and creates unrealistic expectations and start telling others how to do their job. Okay, so let's, let's just take a look at coaches. Okay, coaching, my friends, can be tougher than teaching. 
when teachers teach, they're in a classroom with students, and unless they're being observed by an administrator, no one is really watching. A coach during a game and at times during practice could be watched by a large portion of the community in which they work. They do this job at times for little or no money. They invest hours of their time into trying to help improve the athletic ability of someone else's kids and can be very underappreciated and criticized unmercifully by parents and at times by their own players. And that happens a lot. And that's scary. And this is why it's very difficult for people to want to get in and coach either in Little League or in high school or in middle school or community leagues because they are under a continuous microscope. Now, parents, I might add, who have unrealistic expectations of their own child's ability and talent, and I realize that parents are required to read and sign the handbook that lays out the rules for participation. And they should realize that their place that their place during games. But all too often in communities where sports is the centerpiece, parents continuously discuss the coach and sadly hold these conversations within earshot of their children. The coach becomes the object of rumors and gossip, is placed under terrible scrutiny, and there are parents who are just chopping at the bit for the coach to provide them the evidence to support their belief. And this all starts because of an agenda of a few disgruntled parents who believe that their kids should play every game, even if their kid's not the best pitching choice for that game that day. Teachers are hired for their expertise in a subject area and are left alone to deliver content to the students. When they are allowed to call, you know, they're to call upon their own creativity and don't feel intimidated by parents and potentially administration, they feel more confident and relaxed when they're doing their job. Coaches are hired to coach and they need to be left alone to deliver their expertise to the players. You see the point here? Teachers are in a classroom, they deliver the content, they're left alone. You don't have a group of parents watching them teach. However, on a coaching field, everybody's watching, including the community, and it leaves the coach wide open for ridicule and criticism. Parents who interfere with the coach while he's doing or while he or she is doing their job place undue pressure on him or her and rob the players of the joy of competition and camaraderie. So if you're a parent right now, Do your kid a favor and leave the coach alone. He was given the job by a school district or a community that believed in him and his abilities to teach kids a sport 
and they get the best out of his players. Let the coach coach and let him do what they love doing. Get the hell out of the way. Just get out of the way. Because if you don't, you're going to communicate a very poor message to your, to your child. And, and he will then begin, or she will then begin to believe that it's okay to criticize the coach. Now, parents, parent. The, boy, I tell you, and you know, your kid may be good at a sport, but unless he or she is the next Bryce Harper, who at the time of this writing was playing for the Washington Nationals, but right now he's playing for the Phillies. They're not making the pros. So why put all kinds of performance-related pressure on, on this kid? And if you ask any professional baseball player what their parents were like when they were in Little League, they will tell you that their parents said to just go out and have fun for the love of the game and nothing else. As a matter of fact, that's why they made it to the pros, because of the no pressure or expectations attitude. Parents need to parent, and that means encourage, nurture natural abilities and talents, balance rules and regulations with, with uh, compassion and understanding. That's what parents need to do. Parents are their kid's life coach. And they need to point their kids in the right direction by instilling in them lifelong values and character training that breeds success in the future. The minute that baseball or any other sport becomes the benchmark for success, any game-related failures will result in the kid feeling like a failure in other areas of life. And they'll lose confidence. The confidence that's necessary to move forward. So, for parents, be a parent, not a coach. A life coach, but you're not their coach. Leave the coaching to the coaches and work with your kid to be the best he can be as a person, not as a player. If they're good people, they'll be good players. Use sports as a vehicle to help your son or daughter show off who they really are. Someone with character and values and someone who respects his teammates and other opponents and understands that there is only one person in charge during the game and practices, and that's the coach. Now, players play. Now, players play. Think about that. Think about how we just get kids to, to participate on sports team, on sports teams. Players play. Not workers play. What does it mean to play? Think about now. I did an article 
uh, and you and I might make connected to this. It's called let's let's teach our kids how to play again. We call those who participate on sports teams players, not workers. And when you're playing, you're having fun. You do it willingly, and you can't wait to start doing it. You enjoy it. And that's what our kids experience today when they're involved as a player on a sports team. And to them, once the game becomes something that's organized by adults, the word play doesn't enter into the equation. Furthermore, kids don't know how to play today. And I will connect this article, this uh, other um, video on Let's Teach Kids How to Play Again to this podcast. They don't know how to organize themselves. They don't know how, they don't know, they, they don't really have anyone to play with and sharpen their skills that they learned at practice. Sometimes kids can live miles away from one another, but they play on the same baseball team or football team. Patricia, here is your reminder. Kids need to run around together alone and learn how to solve problems alone with uh, without with adult coaching and not with adults hovering over them offering correction because their swing was off or they they didn't know how to catch a fly ball. Damn it, let the kids play. And if we don't, playing won't be playing anymore. It will be work. Leave the kids alone. Let them go out on the field, play, and solve some of their own problems. Now, how do you, how do you deal with this stuff? Well, the solution's simple. Let the kids play and stay out of each other's way. Easier said than done. And I've been asked for solutions to problems by teachers and parents alike. My response at times has been, I'm going to tell you what to do, but you're probably not going to do it. They either can't or won't do it. Egos are too big, and when there are folks who have some power, they use it to get what they want, even when... when it's not in the best interest of the team or the group. School districts and communities are controlled by the minority who don't always want what's best for a group. Sometimes parents don't always want what's best for their own kid, and they live vicariously through them, hoping that they will somehow bring completion to their own unfinished life. As a a society, we have lost some real professional and personal wisdom and we want to dismantle playgrounds because one kid fell off the monkey bars. Our kids are looking for answers, but we're too busy arguing with each other. Then they look to each other and they have friends, their friends, parents. Basically what happens is, is their friends parent them by proxy creating what Robert Bly called the sibling society where the ground is level and nobody's in charge. And that's a major problem that we have today. As adults, we've created this culture in a very innocent and unwitting way. 
And now we have to dismantle the Frankenstein monster, but we have to stop telling parents and kids what they want to hear and be truthful about their academic and sports-related ability, regardless of any unrealistic parental expectation. Billy Bean of Moneyball fame, was drafted in the first round by the New York Mets right out of high school. He was identified by scouts as a 5-2 player. Remember, we talked about that earlier. He played for a short time in the major leagues and then went into scouting. He never made it as a player, but became a successful general manager of the Oakland Athletics. He was successful but not as the player that everyone thought he would be. When Bryce Harper made it to the pros as an outfielder for the Washington Nationals, Davey Johnson, the manager of the team, asked him how he felt, Harper, and Harper responded, this is the most relaxed I've ever been my entire life. Harper knew that he was hit by lightning and that he was the one in eight Billion, who became a professional baseball player. He truly did make it. Everyone else will have to just keep on trying, but in reality, all kids have the potential to be great people, but not professional athletes. Even if kids get a scholarship, and they're all state in their sport, they'll always be a big fish in a small pond so let the kids have fun. Let the coaches coach. Let's help and help parents understand how unrealistic expectations can do more harm than good. Now, let me let me just go over this briefly with you. My name is Jim Burns. You're listening to Anti-Bullying 101. And that was quite a long article. But the point that I wanted to make here is pressure can do, can do tremendous harm to a kid. And kids need to be able to play. We need to teach kids how to play again and enjoy life. Kids don't need to grow up fast. Kids don't need to be parentified. Kids don't need to have greater responsibilities at, at ages that are inappropriate. They don't need that. What they need is an opportunity to enjoy life. They need to be kids. They need to be held accountable. They need to be you know, uh, surrounded by people who practice rules and regulations and compassion and understanding. They might be pretty good at certain things, and that's when we should let them have fun with those certain things and not put them in a position where they feel as if they have to please an entire school, a family, a community, because of their abilities. Let the kids have fun. Let them do what they do best. They play. Let the coaches coach. They coach. And parents, parent your children Coach your children, bring your children along, but it doesn't matter if they're going to be a professional athlete or not. What matters is the character they have as people and as individuals. 
That's what will get them through life. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. It's Monday, July 11th. I'm here in sunny New Jersey in Manahawken, which is in South Jersey, in case you're wondering, which is, I don't know, 40 minutes north of Atlantic City. It's 1.22 in the afternoon. I had a great time speaking to you. I know I read the article. Okay, so I read it. But the bottom line is I'm making my point here. And again, we've got a lot of much bigger fish to fry. Much bigger. But the bottom line is we can do this together. When we all know our role, we all know our job, and we all know how to uplift others, make them feel good about themselves. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, let's do those things rather than tearing people down. Let's do what we have to do to create successful young people. And sometimes what we have to do is we got to work with people who are a little older and help them become successful as well. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. Thanks for listening to Anti-Bullying 101. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to the Anti-Bullying 101 podcast. My name is Jim Burns, and we're here to discuss a variety of topics. Bullying is the big one, but right now many people are experiencing a host of other problems, domestic violence, workplace bullying, cyberbullying, community bullying, family bullying. And often when I speak with people, I discover that they seem to be having trouble with the ones that they're closest to, like their parents or their siblings. People are angry and bitter and just don't realize that there's a choice that can be made. And it's just as easy to develop love, joy, peace, and patience as it is to be angry and bitter. So this podcast is designed for anyone who wants to have a fuller, more vibrant life and to offer some ideas on how to balance the physical, the mental, the emotional, and spiritual areas of their life. Don't, but don't make any mistake about it. We're anti-bullying 101, and we truly hope that we can help everyone live a life without the fear of harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Well, we had that incident at Central Regional, which um, was not good, where that that young gal hung herself and she was absolutely bullied horribly in the school and not a lot was done. And uh, I have um, 
been in schools and I've never heard anything like what I heard from Central where they, they, the teachers were running for cover when all of this stuff started happening. And I really wanted to get an understanding of what really goes on in schools from a kid, from a student, from someone who's really in the trench every day, you know, witnessing this. And I didn't realize it, but I had the best resource right under my nose, and that's my daughter. And she's sitting here right next to me. Her name is Zoe. You could say hi, Zoe. Hi. And I really want to get just a take from her on what goes on every single day, what she sees, and are kids just as mean as as they have been made out to be, or it, are we missing something? So first of all, Zoe, thanks for taking time out from your day to do this. Because uh, I thought it would be neat if we did it together. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you still got to sit here with me and, and talk about this stuff. So for, on a day-to-day -day basis, what do you see in school that's, you know, maybe a little bit odd or maybe you see it as a little bit because I know you're a very kind person. I know it. I live with you. And I know you're 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 sensitive. I'm sensitive myself. But from a standpoint of of your observations, wh what do you see kids do that are unkind, disrespectful and just downright cruel to one another from time to time? I mean, the biggest thing that everyone hears is in the hallways because it's a very crowded place because we have like over that I know of over 400 students and they're all trying to get to their classes or all trying to move. And it's it's a bit difficult and you hear so many things going on and you just have to let it go through your left ear and out your right. But the biggest thing that I could see is kids just get very rough with each other and some of them have to learn how to live with it like you hear it and you know you just feel kind of awkward and I've been in that situation many times where you just hear these things and people say it even to you and you just don't really know what to do and it's very confusing and it's a, and it's a bit challenging to get through a day with a lot of these things going through your head 24 7 in one building Hmm. And what, what might be an example of something that someone might say to another student or maybe even say to you? Um, there's been a lot of like racial slurs that have gone through my school. And being an African-American, it's a little bit difficult. And some of the African-Americans in my school say these things. And it just sucks because you don't want to keep hearing that in a place where you're supposed to feel safe and comfortable and get an education. Mm-hmm. And do adults hear it? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's a lot going on in, like, most classes, but you don't really hear it too much unless you're in, like, a very active class, like maybe PE or lunch or maybe your elective class. So you don't hear it too much, but usually in my one class, which is my elective class, I hear it a lot because you're in this huge space. Mm. It's a, it's a woodshop class it's applied technology and you it's a huge space and the teacher is trying to focus on making sure no one cuts their hand off with the machine 
So he's not too focused on it, and it's a little bit challenging. Mm-hmm. And would you say that it's more girls or boys? More boys, definitely. That, that make th- these comments. Yes. Okay. And when it comes down to, uh, like, girls in the school, uh, w- because, you know, you know, Dad was an administrator for a long time, and – uh, I seem to have, and this is the truth, I, I, I seem to have more trouble when girls didn't get along. Yeah. Uh, which I found a little bit tough to manage because, you know, I got girls all around and then I see these girls not getting along and it's very difficult to try and communicate to them how they should speak to one another and different things. Do is there a little bit of a clicky feeling in school when it comes down to girls? Yes, there are definitely, you know, maybe like the queen bees of the school. Um, they're they're very popular people, and you know, they they're very rude to maybe either each other or to other people around them, and it's just a very awkward position because you don't know what to do. You could look at your friend; they don't know what to do. It's just so awkward because. A lot of girls in my school want to be like those girls, but mm-hmm. they're very pretty and they're very um, athletic and all these things. They're great, but when it comes down to the to the core of them, they're just very bitter to each other, mm. to each other and other people around them. And it's just kind of not fair because they get to be, they get to seem as these cool, amazing people, but they're just rude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... But they're not rude to certain people. No. They're only rude to the people that are kind of outside their group. Yeah. And is there a certain group of girls that, in other words, they participate in, like, there's five girls that participate in um, an activity. we'll, We'll use softball or something like that. Do they hang more together because of the sport and do they can they like cast each other aside rather quickly in other words i can remember your sister when she was 16 she had five friends and all of a sudden they just started giving her a hard time and she couldn't even figure out why and she confronted them and they ended up having so out of that group of five she ended up with one friend Is it easy to break away from a group when you're not happy with the belief system of the group? In other words, they're breaking chops. They're being mean. They're being rude. You're part of the group. You don't want to be involved with that kind of behavior. So how hard is it to break away from a friend or so-called friend when you don't like their behavior? It is a lot. It's very, very challenging. It's way easier to whittle yourself into the group than to get yourself out because, you know, I have felt that before where you just are tired of it and you don't want to be there. And it's very hard because they might consider you as a friend and, you know, maybe you liked them once before, which is really hard because you have all these great memories. But you do have to try and get yourself out. And maybe if they fix themselves, it could be a little bit easier. But if they're just trying to prove these points that don't really make sense um, on why you should stay, it just it is hard because 
you think that they're these amazing people and maybe especially if they're your really close friends you trusted them with certain information and you feel like you're kind of like connected with them because of that information because if you don't become friends with them you're scared of what maybe they are capable of to doing to you because you don't want to be friends with them anymore mm, yeah my name is Jim Burns. You're listening to Anti-Bullying 101. Uh, as you listen to this podcast, realize I have my daughter with me. And we're just talking about the way it is in school. Um, after the incident at Central Regional, I thought it would be a good idea to get a kid's perspective on this whole thing. And as she is right there in the trench, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad do you think bullying is in your school? I would go with probably a solid six or seven. Mm -hmm. It's not horrible. I think our teachers are very, very, our um, administration is very onto it. Like they don't want it to happen, which is um, kind of good to know you have the reassurance of an adult. But it's, it's not all perfect. It's a big school with a lot of kids and mm -hmm. not as many staff and not people watching you every second. So it, it does happen, but it's it's a little bit more well-handled than maybe other schools in our area. Mm -hmm. And what would is, – is, do they have consequences for bullying? In other words, what would be, like, one of your school consequences for someone we who bullied someone else? A lot of consequences. You know, there's always detention. You know, we have 3 o'clock detentions, 5 o'clock detentions, um, ISS, OSS. We have a lot of different punishments and even missing out on very fun activities that we do towards the end of the year. Even if the bullying might happen in mid-November, it could really benefit you in January or uh, March or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you just had a trip. Mm -hmm. And did some of those kids who maybe misbehaved a little too much, they didn't go, did they? Yeah, we had a big rule from... February 10th to March 17th, you had to be in good standing. You couldn't get two detentions to or two all-day detentions or any sort of suspension mm -hmm. or else you will not be able to be on the trip, mm -hmm. which for me, I didn't think it was going to be too hard. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to like say that I'm a nice person, but I do think I've behaved myself in school. Mm -hmm. And some of the other kids, it was a little bit harder for. I saw some kids, you know, making it to the end, but some of the other ones fell behind mm -hmm. and weren't able to go on a trip. And I, and I feel bad for them because it was a very fun trip and it was a good way to end the week. Yeah. It's yeah. always nice when you get out of the building, right? And it was on a Friday. So it's like Friday's even better. Set. Yep. No question about that. Now, about a week ago, I had a gal on my show, her name was Andy Kay, and she she um, created a foundation called the Bloom Foundation, like bloom, like people bloom. I mean, the the the, um, the one line that she had was, "They tried to bury me, but they forgot I was a seed." I shared that with you mm -hmm. before. And I just wanted the both of us to go over this little short packet that she gave me so that others can hear what they can do. Mm -hmm. And you can hear a little bit of this. So maybe this will help you when you go to school and experience something. Because 
what we've discovered, it's all about our thinking. It's how we think about ourselves. You know, and when we think well about ourselves and we love ourselves, nothing anyone says to us can rattle our cage. Right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that true? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to read one, and then you're going to take those two, and then I'll go back to um, four. All right, so I'm going to read the first one. And the first, one of the first steps to overcoming bullying and really overcoming some adversity that you go through in a school with friends or whatever the case may be is understanding what your belief is. What do you actually believe? And so you want to challenge your beliefs by taking some time to write down what others have said about you. Because oftentimes, bullying can affect the way we think about ourselves. So whatever anyone has said about you, okay, write it down. Write down what others have said about you and how that makes you feel. Then ask yourself what you really believe and try and replace those with truths. So what do you actually believe? That's, that's the biggest thing. So whatever anybody else says is not true. Yes. And, and we're going to have, this is known as thought replacement. We're going to replace the negative with the positive. Take two and three for me. It can feel like this is a never ending, but nothing lasts forever. Come up with seven things you want to do in the next seven years. Envision where you will be seven years from now and who you will be. Chances are you will be a whole new you'll be in a whole new place both emotionally and physically. Work on building up your future self and make a bucket list. That's pretty good. So what do you want to do over the course of the next seven years? What's your bucket list? What are the things you know, and this should be like a piece of cake for you. You know why I say that? How about that? You know, but this, you know why? Because you are already planning for things in the future. You do that really well. In other words, you know, um, all right, Christmas is over. You know, all right, it, it's whose birthday's next? You know, birthday's over. Oh, it's next birthday. Oh, guess what? Three, my birthday. You always look forward. And when you look forward, you could figure out where you're going to be and you can create that list of things that you want to do. What do you think of that? I think that's cool because yesterday I was talking about my birthday and my birthday is in July. So I was planning very much ahead. And I think this could be very helpful because writing down anything is really helpful. I started journaling and I think it's extremely helpful because you can get all the thoughts from your day and the emotion onto a piece of paper. And then you could look back from this before maybe you weren't feeling so well. And you could look back and realize, you know, this is what I could fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That Writing does help. Writing is better than writing, uh, typing into a computer. Okay. What's number three? Uh, number three is habits. Even though you may feel all incompassionate, there are creative outlets that you can start to prioritize. Create a schedule for things that bring you joy and make sure you're setting aside time to put a little joy in each in each day. This may be a skill you want to build upon or create an outlet that you can focus on instead of the bullying. Schedule some time right now for when you're when you'll focus on this and also build 
and rewards to create a routine system. Mm-hmm. And you know who else needs to do that? I think we're thinking of the same person. Me. I need to do it because I don't have the the necessary habits to write down or uh, do things that are going to bring me joy. And I need some joy once in a while that I have to look forward, you know, to different things. Here's purpose, purpose. No matter what may be going on, you still have purpose and the opportunity to make a positive difference. So true. It, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You always have that opportunity to make a positive difference. When you're helping to make the world a better place, a sense of purpose and fulfillment follows. And I think that's kind of what happened to dad over the years. I wanted to try and really stop bullying in schools and different things. And I felt like that was my purpose. And I did get a little fulfillment from that. I really did. With kindness as your personal and unique superpower, that's you, you'll be a light in the world. With each act of kindness, you will be spreading seeds and making a difference. So what we want to do over the course of the next whatever, days or months or whoever knows how long, come up with a list of three small acts of kindness you can complete as a starting point. So in other words, three things that you can do where you show kindness to somebody else. That for you is a piece of cake because you show kindness to everybody, you know, and even, well, you do, because even though someone may give you a hard time or someone may uh, diss you or not uh, or ignore you or whatever the case may be, you still worry about them and you still want the best for them. That's a tough one for me. You do it way better than I could have ever. I just think that um, it's really important because Selena Gomez always says, like, you know, kill them with kindness because they're going to feel so awkward if they're being so rude to you and they really think about what they're saying because they think, oh, I'm saying all these rude things to you, but you're still being nice to me. And it gets them thinking about, you know, this person, I'm being uh, hard to them and I'm being really rude, but they're just still being nice to me. And it gets their, their brain to work about the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the tips they give us here is a really easy way to do this is pick up the phone and give someone a compliment. Many, many, many years ago, I had a social studies teacher. um, And somebody ran into him um, at an in-service and they, they got his card. And I said, holy mackerel, this guy taught me social studies when I was 14 years old. And he made a difference in my life. He really did. And I took the car and I called him up and I said, I want to thank you for, you know, all that you did for me. This guy said to me, he said, you've made my career. But it was that one thing you say to You don't know when you say something to somebody, what they could be thinking and where they are at the time and how you could make a difference in their life. Isn't that true? Yeah. I think when you have like a teacher or someone that is trying to show you something, it feels a little bit better because you know that even if you're not doing well, like I always had this amazing English teacher and, you know, he helped me through a very hard time I got through uh, a school year. And I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have 
uh, that year. So I'm very thankful. And I think educators, uh, when they're, it helps a student when they're feeling really down about, you know, all these things. Because mm-hmm. even just that little nice, hello, like, cool, you know, hi, like, and it's like another day. Mm-hmm. It can really change the mood. So I'm very thankful mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. That's right. What words do have power, don't they? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the next one you got? Do you have number what, five? Yes, I have five. Self, self-worth. Even though you may not feel worthy, you are. You are worthy of love and belonging because you are a human being deserving of worth. Build up your sense of self-worth, worthness by listing 10 things you love about yourself. Extra credit if you ask one or two friends to share three positive adjectives about you. Mm. Okay. And you know, when I interviewed this girl, she asked me to share three things that I like about myself. I had to give it some thought, but I, we did it at the dinner table the other night, you know, and it it was kind of like, I like the fact that I serve. I like the fact that I do try to um, work with people. And I like the fact that I have stick-to-itiveness, that I stay with stuff. That's that. What do you like? You could share it. Um, I like that. I would like to say I'm a very, like, kind person. I try and be very respectful to people I'm around. I also think I'm very, like, energetic, which I know a lot of people might think is a little bit weird, but I like to be very hype, and I just like to be very in the moment because I'd rather be hyped then than not hype because it's just so much fun. You have to see the good things. And I also think I like to be an optimistic, and I – like to see the good in a lot of situations and it's not always and that's one of the things i want to work on but i do try mm-hmm. you do you do work on seeing the good in a lot of situations and sometimes what we think was meant for bad sometimes it turns out down the road way down the road that it was meant for good and you want me, you, you want me you got six go ahead empathy here we want to challenge you to get curious and compassionate about others and what they might be going through. By forgiving the ones who hurt, who are hurting us, we choose empathy and forgiveness. In the face of hurt and pain, we regain the power to write our own story. A story of forgiveness, a story that is more empowering to us. Journal about your process of forgiveness. If you are not ready to forgive, that's okay. You can journal about what forgiveness means to you. Mm-hmm. Showing empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I shared with uh, with mom was um, it's th- tough to show empathy through a computer. Mm-hmm. You got to have the person in front of you. I remember when I was in a situation where me and my friend were having this kind of a bit of a fallout, and I decided we parents and everyone decided we'd meet up in person and I think it did a better job because my other friend apologized to that friend through a FaceTime call and or through like text or FaceTime call something and I think that in the long run I'm still friends with that person and I'm not sure if she's as close with that person and I always think back to that you know I went over to her house I had this apology we talked through it face to face and I think it felt a little bit better than, um, you know, through the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like this line across the top here. If the flower doesn't bloom, fix the environment, not the flower. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. And number seven, lastly, growth. Your vulnerability has so much power and strength it can help someone else in need. The pain you experienced from bullying could be used for good. And this is the challenge to our audience as well as to ourself right now. Your story could help bring to light to another person who needs to hear from someone who has gone through it already. Write down your story by sharing what you learned and how you've grown to become a guide to someone else. So this would be like, you're going to write the story down, but you're going to mentor other people. Hey, let me tell you what I did when that happened. You know how I'm always sharing stories? Yes. Because I honestly believe sometimes the story is going to help, even though you might have your your you know your nose in your hand okay if <laughs> it, it it may just may there may be a little something there that's going to help somebody yeah. i will never forget the story you told me about the blind guy and how he was bullied and then it uh the bullying came up down the road in the future with a job oh that was the deaf guy oh the deaf guy the deaf guy yeah yeah, that, that's the Deaf Boy story. If you, and anyone wants to read it, go to the website. It's the Deaf Boy story. Yes, that's a great story. You know, because you, you don't know who you're talking to. You may think you know who you're talking to now, but you may never know who you're talking to later. Yeah. All right? So those are the seven things. Those are the challenges that we have in front of us. And I think that we need to take this information and bring it to, bring it to school with us mentally and have it in the back of our mind to, to help us through. Because, let I mean, let's face it, right now, school can be a scary place. Mm -hmm. School can be a bit of a scary place. And I will tell you, just from watching you, that you work through it pretty well, and you do a darn good job. Even though it, it's, you know, we've had our moments, you do it well. You do it very well. So always understand that, that you're loved. And I think that people need to know that they're loved because that can make all the difference in the world in them going forward. And I shared with you the story of my own dad. Critical all the time. One time he came to me and said to me, I am so proud of you. And everything changed. He probably changed my life with just those few words. So understand that as you reach out to help others. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I have been here with Zoe Miller, my daughter, and she's been sharing with us things that go on in school that maybe we could help change and we can work with. And we shared some information that uh, we had picked up uh, earlier this week about how to overcome bullying and how to deal with people in general. And uh, I'm, I will go on record publicly and let her know I'm very proud of her. And I'm so happy that you were with me today. So thank you being for being with me today, Zoe. Thank you for having me. No, it was, it was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. So once again, my name is Jim Burns, and thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.